Most people know that Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication with law enforcement, as well as create educational opportunities so we can be better, more informed citizens. For the last several months, all the news stations have been promoting a negative mindset towards the entire law enforcement community. I agree that some of the recent events are beyond egregious. However, those events do not represent the vast majority of the brave men and women who risk their lives daily to keep the rest of us safe. I'm asking you to please, next time you see a member of law enforcement, show some appreciation and thank them for their service. Now, let's start the show. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, In the studio, we have Mike from Homeland Security. But before we introduce him and find out all about him, I want to throw a question out there. Next week is our fundraiser. We've been talking about it for a few weeks now. And I have a question for you. The first person to call in and answer this question will get four free tickets to our fundraiser, which is going to be held at Wayne's World down there on 990 South Cherry. We will have uh, Sheriff's Daniel and Lamb there to answer all your questions. The Batmobile collection is there, including the boat, the cave, everything. All this Batmobile stuff there, um, plus about 80 other cars. So the question is, when did Batman debut? Call in with your answer, and John will, will take your answer and write your name down. So, Mike. Tell us everything about you. How did you start your career? Yes, Sherry. Well, first of all, let me say thank you very much for inviting me in here and uh, having me come in today and talk with everyone. And thank you for everybody listening in this morning uh, for taking valuable time out of your day to listen to us. So who's this Mike guy and why does he know about cybersecurity? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, you know, I started out um, with the, so I'm from the state of Wisconsin. Uh, I started out there working for the Department of Justice. And uh, actually I worked for, I was hired to work with the undercover officers or the undercover agents for the Department of Justice. So I was the guy that brought them technology and and automated uh, a lot of their systems, that type of thing. So from there, I moved on and became uh, Wisconsin's first state CISO, which is Chief Information Security Officer, uh, which the responsibility is to protect the data of the state of Wisconsin. And then you get to a point where you do everything you can do and and you shovel as much snow as you want to shovel. And then you say, <laughs> okay, do I want to stay here? And so then an opportunity came up down here in Arizona and the uh, state CISO was vacant. So I came down here and... Okay, uh, you used an acronym. What does yep. it mean? CISO is Chief Information Security Officer. Okay. And again, from a cybersecurity side. Okay. Uh, so I actually became their second uh, state CISO uh, here in Arizona. And I did that for about seven years. And then I moved on to the Department of Homeland Security and now working for uh, CISA, which is Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. So we do both physical and cybersecurity. Um, and I am the cybersecurity advisor for the state of Arizona. And I'm also covering Nevada right now, too. But uh, Are you I, a badger? I am a badger, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd ask. My nephew's a badger. And, and I have... Uh, no qualms in the division between, uh, you know, the north and the south in Arizona. <laughs> so I, I have no game in that fight. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. We've got, um, when I announced that you were coming on the show, I got a lot of questions. And one of them was pretty basic. I mean, we were talking to people who 
don't work in the industry. Mm-hmm. How do you hire when your computer is is kaput? How do you hire somebody to fix it? Yeah, that's it, it's an excellent question. So I'm going to start out since it's a Saturday morning. I'm going to start out with my joke. You go to your neighbor's kid and ask them. The six-year-old next door will be able to fix it, no sweat. Well, I like to say nine-year-old, but, you know, uh, agree. Uh, You know, our kids seem to be, you know, my kids too, were hired into technology, so they're used to it. It's it's like no big deal uh, to them. But... Um, building that relationship and finding that organization is is pretty important and it, it is difficult because to your point, how do you know to trust someone? So the first place I like to say the easiest thing to do is if you go out and you get your technology from a lot of the uh, big box stores, even, you know, I the yellow one, the orange one, whatever. I'm, that, you know, the blue the, one. The yeah. ones that profess to be geeks in <laughs> exactly, the industry. Yeah. So they have uh, services within those organizations. And that is one place that you can start your trust. But keep in mind, when they get access to your PC, they're going to have access to all your data as well. Um, so. And how do they vet these people? You don't know if they're, you know. Yeah. So you don't know. They, you don't know. And every organization could be different. They could do background checks. And. Um, and you can ask that question and say, how do you vet your people? You know, what kind, sometimes they could bond those people. So they, you know, have a protection that if something happens, then. So they ask if they're bonded. After they're bonded. Yeah. Just ask what kind of protections uh, do they use to keep your data safe? Um, my second uh, idea though, for, for a recommendation for most citizens is ask around, you know, ask your neighbors who they've dealt with, ask people that you trust, uh, who have they dealt with? Who have they had good luck with? Um, word of mouth is the best way to find, you know, the the best people that are out there and that take their time. Uh, go within your organization that you work for and find out who they get their support from. And then sometimes those organizations offer uh, services for citizens as well. Um, there's another route uh, you can take down here in Tucson. Uh, you have a great program at Pima Community College, a cybersecurity program here. And I don't want to call them out and say that, uh, you know, they'll respond, but I know they are very much into the community down here. And you could uh, call in and talk to some of the leaders in that program, and they might have some recommendations on who to go to as well. They also may have some volunteers here in in uh, Tucson that, for the college that be willing to you know, take a look at your laptop and and uh, do some things to get it running better or make it some more secure. And and again, I don't want to put anything on them that they don't want to do, but I know they are a great community Mike partner. said. Yeah, Mike said. So. No. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, ask the questions about it, especially are you bonded? Are you vetted? How do you hire your people? Yep. Because somebody, anybody can go out there and profess to be a geek That's or correct. a doctor or whatever. You know, we've got somebody here that I spent almost $500 trying to get my computer fixed. It wasn't fixed. And a simple call to Microsoft would have solved the problem, and it was free. Yep. But it cost me $125. So, you know, and to that point, uh, so always keep that in mind. Uh, uh, well, in the good old days before the pandemic, a, a nice laptop would be three, $400, right. brand new. Right. So you have to make that decision every day. Remember, we live in a throwaway society. You have to make that decision every day. How much money do I want to spend to solve a problem, or is it easier just to get a new device. And that's something we have to deal with every day. And I always recommend to people, 
don't be afraid to have two laptops, one that you do your social stuff on, one that you do your personal and business and banking and those types of things. Oh, yeah. You have all these banks and everybody's, you know, oh, put our app on your telephone. It's so easy. Take a picture of your check. What do you say to that program? So I will admit I do take a picture of my check. I but Will I, you send it to me? <laughs> no, I will not. But, <laughs> um, but you know, th- so this goes back to your original point. Who do you trust? Yeah. And I think as citizens, we have to decide because it is up to us to protect our own data and our own uh, personal information. Nobody's going to do that for us. So where do we start? Do we trust our banks? Do we trust um, our business partners? Do we trust the the uh, organizations that we buy stuff from, you know, we have to make those decisions every day. Do we trust the airlines? You know, nowadays it all runs through apps and you can have it on your phone. You go in, you put it on the monitors. There's no paper. Well, it doesn't have to be paper tickets right. anymore. So we have to decide where do we put that Draw trust. the line. Draw the line, right. So I'm, you know, for me, I'd like to say um, you run a little risk, but it's a small risk with your banks and financial institutions. And I think in my mind, that's fair to trust them. Um, I <laughs> don't say Mike said, but no, Mike said, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> exactly. But I, I, that's where I draw my line. And then to your point, how many apps do you put on? I try not to put hardly any apps on my phone uh, just because the more apps you put on, the more you widen that footprint and the more you increase that risk. Now, keep in mind, anything you do, you run risk. And that's an incredibly important point. I drove down here. I live north of here. So I came in on the 10. I ran a huge risk driving down on the 10. Anybody that's driven on the 10 (laughs) knows you're running risk. And we run risk every single day. So we have two options. We can either, uh, or three options, actually. We can mitigate that risk with in the cyber world, it's applying security programs and those types of things. You can avoid that risk or outsource it to other organizations. That goes back to our conversation of support and and things like that for computer. Or you can accept that risk. And it is okay to accept risk. And we accept risk every single day. Okay. I heard, I don't know if it's true, and that's why you're here. I heard if you use two different kinds of uh, security programs on your computer, they'll fight against each other. <laughs> and I'm like, why, why would they fight? Um, so if you put like a malware program on and a, a Norton program on, they're not gonna work together, is that true? So, uh, you know, the, as it, most answers in cyber is, it depends. <laughs> so let me start with that. Um, so as a norm, no, that's not true because Number one, there is no one program that's going to totally protect you against everything. There is no uh, silver bullet in the cyber world. So it is a layered approach or you want to have multiple ways to protect yourself. So that is a good strategy to have multiple programs on your computer. Now, could two programs work against each other? Sure they could. Um, not in an evil way, but just because <laughs> they're competing for the same resources and they could cause problems that way. So sure, that could happen. Okay. Tell us, to begin with, why did you get into this? I mean, it's it's just so mind-blowing. I mean, for, for me, for a lot of other people out there, it's like, oh my God, cybersecurity. How do you how do you know where the bad guy is behind that screen? You don't know. You don't know. That's exactly right. You know, that's interesting. I wasn't prepared for that how I got into this. I kind of 
you know, to be honest, I was uh, I started out in accounting, and because I loved numbers and I loved uh, figuring things out, and I love puzzles, so cyber became a natural progression. I I got to the point. Uh, no offense to any accountants listening, uh, <laughs> but I just couldn't. I decided one day that that just wasn't for me. And like not everybody, exciting. not <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say what, but uh, you know it. it uh, at some point, like everybody else, you change your majors and you change your decisions on what you want to do. And back in those days, uh, cyber well, there was no such thing as cybersecurity, but computing was up and coming. And, and I tried a few things. I was pretty good at it. I went in that direction and I had a lot of fun with it. And it's evolved ever since I started. You know, it was 19, I believe it was 1992 when the state of Wisconsin connected the internet to to the state. And that's when cybersecurity was born, because at that point we realized we needed to protect our organization from everything else. Wow. So that's it's been around for a little while. But a little while, yes. Okay. So describe phishing. Sure. So phishing is uh, people that are, so there's two types of, of phishing emails. There's people that are trying to send you emails uh, think of it as junk mail. You know, if you go out to your little to the post or to your uh, mailbox, remember those little square things that we have <laughs> out in the street or maybe you know somewhere attached to the house. Attached to the house, maybe. Yeah, I don't know if there's any of those left or anymore. But yeah, if you go out there and you get all this paper stuff and you bring it in, and it's addressed to you, and it's just. Occupant of. Occupant, very important. Open this read, you know, all that. Just junk mail, right? So phishing, number one, is a part of just junk mail from the cyber world because it's easier and cheaper to send an email than it is to send physical paper and have stuff printed out and get people's addresses, et cetera, et cetera. So just think of it as junk mail. So what do you do with your junk mail when you get it in the mailbox? You shred it. Exactly. Rip it up, throw it away. Same thing with the email. Just delete it, you know, because it's junk. Okay. Just deleting it, though, doesn't stop it from coming again. No, that's correct. So couldn't you just, like, report it as spam, or is that overload? So there's a fine line there. Remember, um, so first we're talking about junk mail, okay? So junk mail is just like the mail you get in the mailbox. It's not illegal to send us junk mail. It's not illegal to send us email that says, hey... Um, there's air conditioning services, there's lawn cutting services, there's window cleaning services. Insurance. Insurance. I'm, oh, yes. I'm OD'd on insurance <laughs> yes. right now. Yes, uh, right now, matter of fact, it's sign up for healthcare. So we're right. getting bombarded with healthcare. I think I have 27 requests to buy insurance for my car, you know, extended warranties on my car. Oh, yeah. That's another popular one. So remember, it's not illegal to send those kind of emails or send that stuff in the mail and get it in your mailbox. So where it crosses the line is where they intentionally are trying to collect your personal information in order to manipulate you. Okay. That's where it becomes malicious. So, and I mentioned it on the show last week or the week before, whenever it was, um, I received an email saying we're going to debit your account for almost $400. Mm-hmm. Two days later, it was almost $500. Both of them were for updating my Norton prescription for my yep. computer. And both of them, they came from two different people, two different phone numbers, two different return Gmail account, mm-hmm. <laughs> return email addresses. And I was like, holy cow. 
you know, this they're trying to get me to call them to give my information to them. That's absolutely correct. They're going to try and harvest some sort of information from you. And they have different tactics, and depending on what they're trying to do, if they're trying to get your credit card or if they're trying to get, like, a Social Security number and then um, open credit under your name and, and steal your identity and that type of thing. There's different tactics that they do behind. So what do I do with that kind of uh, email? Do I... Who do I send it to? How do I report that? So there's a lot of different places you can send that to. So first of all, it's not a surprise. I, I hate to say um, it's it's a lost cause, but in reality, <laughs> what these people do is they create that Gmail account. As we all know, it's free and, and no offense to Gmail. There's tons of others that are also free. So it might be Gmail, it might be Hotmail, it might be something else. <laughs> Uh, I'll even say AOL. I don't know if they exist anymore, <laughs> but uh, we like to joke about a uh, AOL accounts. So uh, they'll create that, get that free account, and then they'll blast out tens of thousands of emails, just like the one you got. And again, it's click on a link or call this number. So they don't need the email anymore because they don't need the responses back to the email. They're trying to get you to click a link or call a number. Once Gmail finds out that that's spam or that's been blasted out that account could get shut down and most of the time it does get shut down so that's why you're seeing the multiple different emails from different sources so if you send it to your spam un unsubscribe mm -hmm. button they'll take care of it so and not send it to norton saying hey they're you can. So the problem is, again, once it's discovered as spam, the email box is shut down anyway, so it's no longer valid. So even if we send it to our spam accounts or if we report it as spam, the bad guy has already done what he or she wants to do. They've sent out the email. They've sent out a bunch of links, and they're and looking for somebody victims. is going to call. Somebody is going and to give call. them all this information. That's correct, and that's the sad part of it. Is is this is done for profit? So as long as this is profitable to the bad guys, as long as we fall for it as citizens, they're going to continue to do this. So let's say today the numbers are somewhere in the four to six percent range is what i hear is the response rates but if you think about it even one wow. percent yeah exactly and and for any organizations out there that are listening in the easy way to test this is to do a spam test on your own people in your own or your own employees so you run uh, there are lots of organizations out there that'll uh, send spam to your organization to see how many people click on the links oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, that's non-malicious, right? But you're trying to cha train your employees. Hey, to don't. not do it. That's correct. To what recognize it, it before you open it. That's exactly right. The ones that click on the link get a nice little message, a friendly message saying, you, it's, uh, you should not click on links and uh, you should be careful about your um, uh, email that's coming in and those types of things. So it'd get nice little training sessions is how they do it. Okay. When you're doing a training session, how do you train them to, what are they looking for before they open that? Like I okay. could see in the, in the title thing, you know, Hey, we're going to debit your account. No, you're not. Yeah. I tell people constantly check your bank account every day. Yeah. That's with your morning coffee, open your bank account, make sure there's nothing on there. So when you're looking at these emails, what are you looking for? So a couple of things, a couple of things you said here. So first of all, excellent question. Now on the check your bank account every day, let me start there. A lot of the banking apps and, and not even through the apps, but, but through your banking portal that you log into, 
you can set up alerts to say when a transaction happens. Yeah. So I, I do that. I and do I do that on my credit cards. Every time my credit card gets charged, I go out to um, a coffee place that maybe is, has a green logo or something like that. And when I buy a cup of coffee, um, the transaction comes through and my phone bangs, you know, because it, it's that quick. Yeah. So I recommend to people put a set up monitoring so you know when something changes in your bank account, they'll alert you and they'll say a deposit just came in. Or to your question earlier, when you take a picture of the check, I get notified in my email that a electronic deposit was made or electronic withdrawal or I whatever. I was going to say, I'd be more concerned about the withdrawals. I, that's what I <laughs> you say. Can you can all know, deposit it to my account. <laughs> go ahead and deposit in my account. I'm okay with that. But it's the withdrawals that you... But uh, the uh, alerts come in for both, for deposits and withdrawals. So, and everybody can do that. Yeah. It's just like with your um, social security number, you can set up an alert there. Yes. And I tell everybody to do it unless you're buying a house or a car. You know, <laughs> you have to allow time to un undo it so you can make that purchase but yeah set it up protect yourself exactly so going back to your original question how do we spot those emails so right. um i think the first tactic is number one when any email comes in and says click here don't click here that's that should be a first trigger unless you know for sure that hi sherry uh, there, this is mike i'm sending you an email that has a link in it because we're doing a transaction so you know that's valid and you know it's coming from me and you, you're expecting it okay that's one thing and that's that level of trust you know you gotta extend that level of trust and that would is what i would call a low risk uh transaction now when you get uh something that's unsolicited and let's say it comes from your bank or your credit card or Home Depot even or Amazon or whoever, you know, any retail store. Go out directly to that site, log into the portal, into your account, and find out what that transaction says. So if it's your bank and they say um, you need to validate something, don't click on that link and validate it that way because that's going to be malicious. I almost guarantee it because no bank is going to ask you that. You log into the banking portal go to that section and then change your address or whatever it is you know the uh, that you were trying to do or whatever you were trying to validate so what are some other ways to find those those weird emails so number one and you alluded to it look who it's coming from okay and hopefully everybody knows how to do that you can hover over your email um, in most email systems if you just hover over the address it'll say who it's coming from because remember we get the thing that says Home Depot right? It's a display name is all it is. Right. So behind that is an address. So when you open that up or when you hover over it, if you don't see homedepot.com, you know that didn't come from Home Depot. And then you have to kind of be careful because the bad guys are getting so sophisticated that they'll put the word homedepot.com.org, you know, or yeah. dot something else yeah. uh, in there. So they'll try and trick you. So it's uh, everything before that first slash is what you're looking at. And that's called the domain. You know, uh, that term doesn't really matter. It's just we're looking for everything before that first slash in the email address. So what you're looking for is, did it come from Home Depot? Did it come from my bank? Did it come from somewhere else? Or is it a Gmail account? Number one, if it's a Gmail account and it's anything for any organization, that's fault. That's fake. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's no reason why you should respond to that 
Um, and if you ever have any doubts, call your institution directly and ask them, hey, I got this email. And, and that doesn't mean the phone number that's in the email. That does not mean <laughs> the phone number that's in the email. That's correct. Go back on your credit card or go back, uh, Google the your banking institution, get their actual phone number and call in and ask them that. So what are some other things that we see? So look for misspellings and grammatical errors and things like that. Many of these attacks happen overseas and because um, cyber has no boundaries. You know, I can be sitting in a foreign country and attack citizens in this country from a cyber perspective or from an email perspective, um, even attack websites. So there's just no boundaries on where these might come from. So look for grammatical areas because oftentimes they're using programs to set up and translate. Yeah. And those program, programs don't work 100%. Exactly. So you might see interesting things like um, uh, like exclamation points that have spaces between them and the other words. You might see extra periods. You might um, have an odd word that's set doesn't up. Doesn't belong. Yeah, that doesn't belong. Now, not that... Every business we do that we do business with it does the best at grammar, right? But these are all flags that you're looking for. It sounds like you're talking about the prince in Africa who wants to marry me. <laughs> we all have a rich prince in Africa that <laughs> wants to share his wealth with us. And if you click on this link, uh, you'll be, uh, um, they'll ask you for some information like your social security number and credit card and bank account number so that they can transfer the funds into your account. And what'll really happen is you'll find out you have false credit opened up in your name or uh, your bank account is drained or, you know, whatever, what have you. So yeah, don't fall for those. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. This is John, a volunteer with Pima County Search and Rescue. Planning a day hike? Start hydrating a few days ahead Bring plenty of water, sunscreen, a first aid kit, and proper clothing. It's the smart thing to do. Please tune in to Law Matters Live Show every Saturday morning at 8. Hi, this is Sherry. Our next show is our fundraiser, broadcasting live from Wayne's Toys with Sheriff's Lamb and Danos, who will answer all your questions. For more information and tickets, go to lawmatters1030.org. This is a great gift idea, and your support makes a difference. We hope to see you there. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. Saving lives means staying informed. Knowing the dangers of using counterfeit prescription pills can help those you care about and keep our community safe. As a parent, educator, neighbor, or friend, we all play a role in building safe and healthy futures for ourselves and our loved ones. Do your part. Take the first step today. Visit GetSmartAboutDrugs.com to access education, prevention, and treatment resources. Counterfeit prescription pills laced with fentanyl are deadly. Be their protector. Be informed. Visit GetSmartAboutDrugs.com. Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication between law enforcement and you. 1030 in police code means excessive use or unauthorized use of the radio, something we do with each podcast posted to iTunes and Google Play. Hi, this is Rich Tracy inviting you to join our conversation and asking you to support our mission. Please go to lawmatters1030.org to contribute. No amount is too small. 
To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for staying with us. Our guest today is Mike from Homeland Security. We are talking about cybersecurity and nobody has guessed the correct date of the Batman debuted yet. So if you have that answer, call in at 790-2040 and John will take the information. So let's talk about ransomware. Sure. Tell me everything you know. Okay. So let me... It's I, only an hour show. Yeah, it's only an hour <laughs> show. Exactly. So first of all, let me... I have some uh, interesting numbers I think you'd, you'd, okay. you'd want to hear. So I'm going to start with that. So first of all, um, phishing, because in most organizations, phishing email is makes up about 85% of the email that comes to the organization. So when I was working for the state of Arizona, I think the state employees got and don't quote me on the numbers, but it was something like a quarter million to a half million email per day for every state employee. But the system got up to 10 million emails per day. That was all phishing emails, junk solicitations, trying to click on links. We peeled all of that off in our system and our employees never got to see that. So just to give you an idea how bad this is, and that's true of every organization. The 85% is roughly common across organizations. Now, Gmail does a very good job of trying to weed a lot of that out, and it throws it into your junk mail. So, And other um, email accounts do the exact same thing. So moving on uh, to ransomware. Moving on to ransomware, the uh, ransomware runs or costs U.S. citizens last year $7.5 billion. Oh my God. So that gives you an idea how much of a problem uh, this is. And that's from clicking on the links. It, uh, so ran let's go back to your question. What is ransomware? So ransomware, generally you get an email that asks you to click on a link and then it downloads malicious software. Now it can also happen if you visit a malicious website. So if you tried to go to something like homedepot.com and you really went to homedepot.org by mistake, uh, that might be a malicious site. They have malicious software. You think you're at Home Depot, you're running through and you say, hey, I wanna buy this tile or I wanna buy this tool. And it starts downloading malicious software and you don't even know what's happening because they're trying to mimic our a lot of legitimate retail sites. So then this software installs on your computer and then starts searching through all of your files, everything it has access to, and it'll do a, one of a couple of things, depending on what the organizer, organizer is trying to do. But at a minimum, it'll access all your files and lock them up so that you can't get at it. And then it broadcasts a message on your screen and says, we've locked your files, and if you want the keys to unlock your files, you have to send 50 bucks or 100 bucks or... If a you're, million bucks. Uh, yeah, if you're a business, <laughs> you know, they depend. If they're attacking citizens, the going number seems to be between 50 and $200 because they know people will pay that. So if you're a business, depending on the size of your business, it could be tens of thousands or millions of dollars. And it may change because if you contact 
them and trying to um, negotiate with them, they may realize, hey, this organization has a lot of money or, or they, they're trying to judge and you're willing to talk to them. They may up their ransom. So we've seen that as well. Is it smart to pay the ransom? Absolutely not. And for a couple of reasons here. So first of all, the FBI director came out uh, several months ago and, and warned citizens and businesses not to pay the ransom because we're encouraging that that type of behavior. Uh, so number one, we have to find ways to stop that. Um, number two, I will say though, you know, if I'm a citizen and I have tens of thousands of pictures on my phone or my laptop, um, I and I'm at risk of losing all those pictures because they've been locked up or worse, they're gonna be deleted if I don't pay the ransom. Okay, what do I do? You know, this guy's asking me 50 bucks to get all my pictures back. Well, number one, you should always back up all your data. Daily. Daily, yeah, daily if you possibly can. But again, that goes back to your risk level. How much risk do you want to run? If Even if you backed up your pictures on a weekly basis, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're going to lose all your pictures for the last week. Okay, in the scheme of the world, we can live with that, right? Versus right. lose all our pictures we've taken for the last five years type of thing. It's easy to back up data because you can go out and buy a little USB uh, stick that you can plug into your computer. Uh, those things for multiple gigabytes today are you know, 10, 15 bucks at any of the local stores. So it's easy to copy those onto a USB stick and just have that handy that in case something does happen, you can always load that back onto your system. So how do you get rid of the person who's on your computer saying, I need it? I need 50 bucks. So uh, unfortunately, uh, reinstalling all of the system software is the only way to assure. That, that means you you've can, lost everything. You have lost everything. That is correct. Your, so. your Word documents, not just your photos, your OMG, OMG your Excel sheets, your your publisher. Yep. All your websites you saved, everything. Um, but then you also got rid of all the spam and all the <laughs> That's junk. correct. All the, so there is a bright side. <laughs> there is a bright side. <laughs> I, I had a friend that used to joke with me that everybody should reinstall their computers every other year, you know, just to get all of the garbage off your computer. But, you know, I bought a car a couple of months ago and all of a sudden I was getting all these ads for insurance, car insurance mm -hmm. and car warranties and phone calls. And I was just like, what the heck? Are they psychic? But the car dealership sold my information. Yep, that's very possible. So again, when whenever you give out information, think of it as somebody is going to take that information and try and use it against you. So you should always protect what you can give out. Now, if we go out and buy a car, we have to get nine times out of 10 because you're doing a financial transaction. You're going to have to give them your social security number. You're going to have to give them your address. You're going to have to give them your date of birth and your name. We just know that as a part of that transaction. But um, And we can accept to do that. Uh, I suppose there are other means, you know, if we bought our own check in from our bank, okay, now we should not have to give our SSN as a part of that transaction because we're not doing a financial transaction with the car dealership. So protect all of your information, no matter so what you So I should have doing. gone to the bank and said, 
give me my money, I'll go pay them, and that way my information is secure. So that goes back to our very first conversation, yeah. who do we trust, <laughs> who right? Do we trust? So then <laughs> if we trust our bank, and that's where we decide to start, then that would be the best way to to uh, deal with that situation because now you're not giving that information out to the car dealer's financial institution, which who knows where they are. You know, they could be in Chicago or the Caribbean or who knows where, you know, wherever they do their financial transactions. Sitting in the Caymans counting their money. Yeah, exactly, on their <laughs> laptop, and that's exactly right. So, so on this list of, you know, topics that we're going to talk about, you mm-hmm. have MIS, DIS, MAL, and... MDM. I don't know what any of that means. Okay, that and that is a very good question. Let me jump to that here. Um, so that's misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation. And I don't want to get these wrong. So misinformation um, is kind of like uh, the way I describe that is, you know, my mom calls me and says, hey, I got this email and it says the president doesn't like pizza. Okay, so my mom's not doing anything malicious. She just heard something or got something in her email and it contains some information that she's concerned about. So she's passing it along saying, hey, I heard this, you know, um, this is this is interesting or this is concerning. So that's (laughs) misinformation because we don't know whether it's true or not. True. So disinformation is when somebody intentionally tries to rile people up or uh, get citizens concerned or or to some other cause so for example disinformation would be um, you get an email that says the president doesn't like pizza so he's closing all the pizza shops throughout the country okay they're <laughs> intentionally trying to cause problems especially with me because that I would like that pizza. would be a protest <laughs> I'm sure exactly so you know, they're intentionally trying to get us riled up. They're intentionally trying to cause unrest. They're intentionally trying to cause chaos. So that's disinformation. And then the last one is malinformation. So the best way I describe that is there's a truth in there, but then it's manipulated in some way um, that the person giving the information wants to get you to think. So the best example of that is election time, okay? All those ads we see on TV. There's one little tidbit of truth, and it usually comes at the very, very beginning, and then they go on to make a case or manipulate or exaggerate or whatever, and that's what um, uh, malinformation is, is that kind of that intention to mislead you. So we, that's how we term and, uh, put the terminology in for, for those various topics. Well, that was part of the reason we even started this show. It seemed like, you know, the news media, all of them would take a sound bite from some law enforcement agency and then wrap a story around it. Yes. And not, you know, giving them the benefit of here's the whole sentence or here's the whole paragraph Here's a soundbite, and it kind of fit what we're trying to blow up here, and it, it was all misinformation. And that's it's even worse than that. So, from the DHS perspective, we now t- start talking about foreign influence. So, foreign influence is when a foreign country gets involved in those conversations through social media. It's very easy to set up different groups or chats or organizations that you can 
check in and belong to and listen to. And you think it's some organization here in Tucson or maybe in Phoenix or something like that. And it turns out it's a foreign country trying to influence our decisions. So they can feed into this whole process and get people riled up and cause chaos and even get the news media to report on an event that never happened and is not true. And they did a darn good job of it the last several years. They certainly have. And they're still doing it. Yeah, and they're still doing it. And so we all a, need to be conscious of that. Yeah. You know, and I tell people constantly, consider the source. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it might sound like CNN or it might sound like Fox News, but who's feeding them? Well, it's even gotten worse because they'll even quote or say it's CNN or Fox News and in the isn't. social media broadcast. And it isn't. It's just... It's to gain that trust from us so we think, oh, that's a reputable source. This is source. It must be true. Yeah. But it really isn't. Because, again, their intent is to cause chaos. So they'll do it in any way they can. Do you think that's what caused all the riots? So, or stirred it up? So certainly that is a possibility. Uh, that could certainly um, add into uh, the, the way people reacted, you know, depending if they got their information from other people or friends or if they got it from social media. There was certainly a lot of um, misinformation and malinformation out in social media during those times. But that doesn't mean, of course, that everybody saw or read that information. So it could be a combination of a lot of things. It seems like a lot of, lot of that is going on with this COVID vaccine too. You know, some people are saying, they're inserting chips into your body. It's not a vaccine. I was just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. There's there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation going on through COVID vaccines. Because just think about it. If I'm a foreign influencer, do I want this country to be affluent? Do I want this country to move forward? Do I want this country to open up? No, I don't. We want to cause chaos. We want to cause chaos. So if I can spread rumors like that and get people not to vaccinate themselves. Divide the country. Divide the country. Um, they That's a win in the adversary's mind. Now, again, I want to caution too. There are legitimate reasons why you cannot get vaccinated or what. You that's know, between you and your doctor. That's between though. you and your doctor. That's not. It's, it's not your governor. It's not the, no. you know, the mechanic or, you know, it's. Listen to the scientists and listen exactly. to your doctor. You know, and it's, again, it's interesting because everything goes back to risk. Okay. Yeah. We have a risk if we don't take the vaccine. We may have a risk if we do take the vaccine. There are a group of people that may have a risk from receiving a vaccine. So you have to weigh that and decide. And that's the doctor's That's position. what you have your doctor for. That's <laughs> exactly. exactly right. You know, and we all back in the day got vaccinated for polio and mumps and measles. And, yeah, and it was line up in was, school. In school. In school. Yes, was I remember Line up, everybody <laughs> got a shot. Okay, go back to school. And everybody like, oh, my arm. That's exactly right. So but, I encourage people to think of it in, in those terms is... Think of it as, as you said, Sherry, it's a, it's a personal decision between you and your doctor and you have to weigh the risks on whether it's valuable, not valuable, what you can or cannot do, those types of things. Yeah, and think about all this, all this misinformation that's being spewed out there. Why are they doing it? Well, mm -hmm. they're trying to split the country up and, you know, who would want to do that? Russia, China, you know, Any, who would uh, want to do it? <laughs> uh, we call it, so from our perspective, we call it the Fab Four that are the main influencers for the U.S. Um, that's Russia, China, uh, and North Korea, and Iran right now. Uh, yeah. Those are the four main uh, in foreign influencers, uh, but there are more as well. 
Yeah, so if, if you're smart, you'll consider the source. Mm-hmm. If it's your neighbor saying, oh, I just got the vaccine, it made me really sick, don't get it. Well, he probably didn't tell you that he had other underlying situations going on too. That's correct. So, you know. or, or maybe he did get sick and it did affect him for a few days, but you know what? He didn't die and it, it may protect his system from dying and if he, was, he does get it. Yeah, exactly. And just consider the source. Yep. And consider the source when you get those emails that you've never gotten. I spent about an hour at my computer unsubscribing from all these people I never subscribed to after I bought the car. Mm -hmm. And I could drive from east side of town to the west side of town and in that time end up with almost 100 emails in my account from people I didn't know. So I spent some time deleting, deleting, deleting and reporting spam and doing all that stuff. Now I get a just a handful of emails from people I know. It's really awesome. Mm-hmm. I recommend everybody do that. Now, <laughs> Get rid of it. I agree with you, but but I want to point out a risk of that. So if it's a valid source, you know, like a local business and that type of thing, and they have you on their emailing list, subscribing is, is okay and, and is low risk. But if it's not a valid source, if it is a foreign influencer, if it's a hostile organization my prince yeah your prince um then when you unsubscribe you're validating that your email is legit and that you're an actual person and you're active in there and that can be an assistance to them because they can try and spam you in other ways they know now that you respond to things so what i like to say is think about in every email system you have the ability to say this is spam this is spam this is spam just do that but you don't need to unsubscribe because then every email you get from those organizations in the future will go into your spam box. So that's a much safer way. And that button is at the top of the email thing. That's correct. So yep. you can just hover over it and he'll say report spam. Yep. But to your point, Sherry, that any legitimate, any email that you believe is a legitimate business, if you unsubscribe, most organizations are on the up and up. And, and Unless it's it a politician. I don't know how many times <laughs> you have to unsubscribe to a political email I mean, come on. Yeah. Joe, stop it. <laughs> exactly. So, okay. What can we do? Well, how, how can CISA help? So uh, CISA is CISA, and there's a whole YouTube video on that, on how to pronounce CISA. Some people call it CISA. Some say CISA, but it's pronounced CISA. And they, again, that's the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, and that's under DHS. So we've been... Um, uh, there's an executive order that CISA is to protect the nation's infrastructure from a cybersecurity perspective. So from business side, um, we focus on the critical infrastructure. The critical infrastructure was identified after 9-11 by President Bush, and that's things like energy, water, government, um, financial institutions, health care, you know, any uh, major um, organization that provides services, major services to us as citizens is part of the critical infrastructure. And President Bush said it was everybody's responsibility to protect the critical infrastructure. So from CISA's standpoint, we offer lots of cyber services that are no cost. I don't say free because they're paid for when we all file that little form on April 15th. That, that's that's right. how it's paid for. <laughs> so what I encourage everyone in Arizona, if you're a small business or you're a mid-sized business in Arizona, get to understand what CISA provides from a cybersecurity perspective because you're paying for it. And I want to see every organization take advantage of those services here in Arizona. That's what it's all about. Okay. That's... 
you just made me think of it differently. Yeah. <laughs> and and to, in order to do that, if you get, uh, if anyone wants to reach out to you, you can put them in touch with me. If they're a small business or mid-sized business, I'm happy to come to your organization and talk about all those different services that are available to you as a biz- small business or a mid-sized business. And we'll go through and we'll decide what makes sense for you to take advantage of. Step by step. Step by step. Mm-hmm. Happy to do that. I love coming down to Tucson too, so... Uh, feel free to reach out. And... <laughs> it's so much cooler down here. Than yes, yes, it and is. Oh, it's so beautiful too. It's a beautiful <laughs> part of the state. So, so if you are going to on your personal computer, and I'm not asking for an endorsement for any company, but which um, security program would you put on your computer? So we don't endorse specific right. products for obvious, don't <laughs> for obvious reasons and um but let me say generically uh that ever if you're a citizen you should at least have antivirus a full antivirus suite um put on your computers and that looks for uh if it can tap into your email and look for phishing and that type of thing even better and a lot of them are bundled that way to come with all those different services so that is a minimum. There are other programs or softwares out there that'll do a variety of other things. But remember, every time you add a piece of software, you also add a vulnerability to your system because that software may have bugs in it and that gives the bad guys another way to attack your system. Well, so shouldn't a security system for your computer not be buggy? You would hope, wouldn't you? But, uh, <laughs> you know, many of these programs have millions and millions of lines of code. And even though they do extensive testing, there's always uh, a risk. We always come back to the conversation of risk. You know, just like your car. Don't you think that if you go out and buy a brand new car, uh, there should be no flaws in it? There shouldn't be any dents. There shouldn't be any scratches. The engine should actually start up, you know, that type of thing. It has oil in it. Little (laughs) things. Yeah, little things like that. But we have issues with just buying new products. There's always little flaws. I think in the automobile industry, it was running somewhere between one and four percent of automobiles you know had some sort of flaw or or issue that they had to be brought back in for that's just the nature of the beast you know even any manufacturing process you're going to have a risk of having flaws in that process and it's no different with software so there's going to be a bug or a risk of a bug or a, a um, a false line of code or something that's not set up correctly that can allow the bad guys to attack your system. And again, the more of those softwares that you have or applications on your phone, the larger your footprint is to be attacked. So what's the difference between an antivirus program and a malware program? So th- th- that is kind of interchangeable. Today, the antivirus programs are a complete suite that includes malware identification. Now, I'm trying to think right off the top of my head if there's anything out there that's just antivirus, but I I can't think of anything. If you're talking about any of the major products, they contain um, malware identification. They have malicious sites or or domain uh, malicious domain identification. So these are are sites that have been reported as being malicious and that contain uh, bad software behind them or bad downloads. Um, if a lot of the program antivirus, well, again we call them antivirus programs. A lot of them have um, identity protection built in them as well. So they'll kind of watch for 
if you're sending out your SSN, they'll alert you and say, hey, did you realize you may be sending out an SSN or something to and that? An SSN is? A social security number. Okay. Yes. All right. So if uh, there's a lot of programs on there that'll say free, free antivirus or free malware, how secure is a free program? <laughs> so as I said, CISA offers no cost services. I didn't say free. <laughs> and I, so given that context, I would be cautious and, and alert everyone that nothing is free. So if something is free, there is a reason for that. And it could be that they're trying to market you. It could be that they're trying to collect your information. It could be that they're trying to get a footprint on your computer so that they can do other things. Maybe malicious, maybe not. You know, maybe all they're trying to do is target ads uh, to your computer and trying to see what you are interested in, what you might click on for ads. It could be a lot of different reasons. Yeah, you'll research something, all of a sudden you have all these ads coming on for that thing that you researched. What's up with that? Mm. So there are a couple of organizations that, including Google and others, that that's the way they do their business is they can, um, if you go out and you're searching on the internet and you search at uh, homedepot.com or lowes.com and you're looking for grills, that's stored and tracked so they now know that you're interested in grills so now they can sell that information to another organization that can try and solicit you to buy grills so that's a operating model of many of the um, uh, search engines that are out there today so it's something we cannot avoid it's like a, they sell it to a third party. That third mm -hmm. party slams all these ads, mm -hmm. and you can't get rid of them. No, nope. and there's nothing wrong with that. That's you know, other is, than it's annoying. Other than it's annoying, that's correct. But if you think about it, if we turn on our TV, we get ads as well, and it's no different, right? It's just the TV cannot target ads to us yet. <laughs> but um, that, like, listen to your day. conversation, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got vacations ads coming up and all kinds of stuff. So you brought up an interesting point that um, I think everyone should think about. You know, there we have all these devices sitting around like, like phones and, um, uh, you know, these little devices that sit on our counter and we have to ask a question. Well, think about that. How are they answering that question? They are in listen mode. So they're listening to everything you're saying. And then when a keyword comes up, they're responding to that keyword. But there's nothing to prevent those devices from listening to your entire conversation and somehow recording that conversation or storing it. And I'm not suggesting that a lot of the popular devices are doing that. I'm suggesting that is possible that they could be doing that. Okay, you need to come back. I have a whole bunch more questions. <laughs> I'd be happy to come back, Sherry. <laughs> okay. We're, we're almost out of time. I want to remind everybody that our event is next weekend. If you want tickets... Uh, the website is lawmatters1030.org, and if you support law enforcement, I hope you support us. It would be awesome so that we can keep doing these shows and bringing you information like Mike provided, and that's kind of scary. You've got, I don't have one of those things, li I don't think, listening to me. Do you have an iPhone? No. Okay. Do you have a Droid phone? Yes. Okay. It's possible if you have the... There's a listening mode on the droids that, and I think it's some of them you say uh, Google. Um, if Google's loaded on there, say Google, where am I going? You know, 
What's your email address, or your email, your website address? So the website we use is cisa.gov, C-I-S-A.gov. And we have a lot of information out there. And a lot of information is free. It is at no cost to you. You paid your taxes. You paid your taxes. You got it. (laughs) Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week at the event. Bye. Please tune in to Law Matters Live show every Saturday morning at 8. Hi, this is Sherry. Our next show is our fundraiser, broadcasting live from Wayne's Toys with Sheriff's Lamb and Daniels, who will answer all your questions. For more information and tickets, go to lawmatters1030.org. This is a great gift idea, and your support makes a difference. We hope to see you there. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org.